Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Uh, we're starting a new series today in the book of Daniel, and uh, as Sarah Lee mentioned earlier, we're gonna, I'm, I'm referencing God as Yahweh for this whole series. Why do I do that? Because when you get to the book of Daniel, not unlike some of the other prophetic books of the Old Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, you see God in almost like competition with the other gods of the Babylonian pantheon. The Babylonians had taken over still during the exile, the Jewish exile, the Israelite exile into the Babylonian territory. Daniel is is one of the aristocratic guys who was also possibly of royal descent within the the region of Judah when he went into exile uh, because what Nebuchadnezzar wanted, the king of Babylon, he wanted the best of the best from the Jewish men to be a part of his royal court and palace. Uh, And so Daniel became one of those men, as well as did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, so Daniel, and what we'll see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, throughout the course of the the Daniel's uh, prophecies, is confronting the gods, or the so-called gods, of, of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, as well as uh, Belteshazzar's kingdom and Cyrus's, or Darius's kingdom and Cyrus's kingdom. Daniel lived a long life that spanned several kings and two empires. Okay, and so we're going to try to unpack that as best we can in the next four weeks. Suffice it to say, we're not kindness in exile. We are king of kings today. I'm not sure why that's up there, but, uh, but uh, we are the king of kings series today, and we're looking at God as truly being the king of all kings. I want to talk to you a little bit today about dreams. How many of you have dreams? How many of you have very vivid dreams that you can re, you you have in very vivid detail, and you journal those dreams sometimes. How many of you have ever had a dream you believe wasn't because of a bad burrito you had the night before, but truly was from God? I believe that too, and I believe that God still works through dreams. As a matter of fact, in Joel, we are told that in the days of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see, and not just young men, young men and women will prophesy and see visions. Now, we're living in those days that Joel talked about. We're living in those days that dreams are a reality. Not every dream is from God, but... If you're astute enough to see and to hear and to compare what you have as a dream or a vision with the Word of God and see that it's not in contradiction, maybe God's trying to speak. And so we'll find that out today. According to the Sleep Foundation, and there is such a thing as a Sleep Foundation, there's a debate that continues among sleep experts about why we dream. Different theories about the purpose of dreaming include 
building memory, okay? Dreaming has been associated with the consolidation of memory, which suggests that dreaming may serve an important cognitive function of strengthening memory and information recall. Another theory is that it's about processing emotion, the ability to engage and rehearse feelings in different imagined contexts may be a part of the brain's method for managing emotions that you can't really manage during the waking hours because you may have to stifle some emotion. So this is another theory that's out there. Sometimes uh, there's, a theory, there's a theory out there called mental housekeeping. Have you ever watched, what is that, that, that animated movie Inside Out, thank you, where they go into the dreams and they're stored and some get, you know, fizzled away and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Inside Out. If you haven't seen it, I'm not marketing somebody's uh, movie, but it's kind of a cool take on why we dream and our thoughts and our memories and where they're stored. Mental housekeeping, the theory for that, according to the Sleep Foundation, is that periods of dreaming could be the brain's way of straightening up or clearing away partial, erroneous, or unnecessary information. It's like when you put your, uh, I don't think you do this anymore, you might, uh, but your computer system, when you hit the defragment button, it puts everything back in order, right? Everything where it should be. That's what this theory is. There's another theory called instant replay, uh, and, and this dream content may be a form of distorted instant replay in which recent events are reviewed and analyzed, like going back and playing it over in your mind in a dream sequence, sequence way. Uh, and then there's another theory, the last one is called incidental brain activity. It's just like blips on a radar, uh, I guess. This view holds that dreaming is just a byproduct of sleep and has no essential purpose or meaning, okay? Experts in the fields of neuroscience and psychology continue to conduct experiments to discover what is happening in the brain during sleep, but even with ongoing research, it may be, and this is from the Sleep Foundation, this is a direct quote, it may be impossible to conclusively prove any theory for why we dream. Because we don't know how the mind truly works. You can slice a brain into these, these thin layers and look at it through a microscope. You can see all the regions. You can put this, these little probes on the top of your head to see which regions and areas of the brain light up with certain activities, feelings, or emotions. But no matter how much we study the brain, it is super difficult to understand why the brain functions the way it does, how the brain works the way it does. And, and I believe it's because we are supernatural beings. Now, yes, we are physical. We have flesh and bone that is prone to wither, fade, die, is, is, is susceptible to disease and those kind of things, but we are not just the flesh that make us up. And to believe otherwise, I believe is a foolish notion, and I'm not calling you foolish, but I believe the reality is we were created as image bearers of the Most High God, and that image is distorted because of sin and death, and we are all lost in sin and death until we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then the power of the Holy Spirit, when we allow him into our lives, he cleans us and makes us 
ready for use. He gifts us with, with abilities to be able to minister uh, on behalf of Christ to the world around us. And when, when that happens, we take that supernatural side of who we are, that spirit that is placed within us that makes us unique from anybody else on the face of the globe that ever has been, ever is, or ever will be, and we allow God to work through us to help transform the world and lead people to Christ. That should have gotten an amen, but never mind. I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell you when to amen and when to not. I hear, I hear preachers do that, and I'm like, oh, that's awkward, and I just did it. Will you forgive me? Okay. Amen! amen. All right. So we come up on the scene in our passage for discussion today, uh, Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel and others like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought into service. They become what are called eunuchs. So whenever, uh, do I need to go into that? Somebody go, what's a eunuch? It's, it's basically, ask your moms and dads if you're too young to hear that. Uh, I remember teaching 7th and 8th grade Bible at Penn Christian Academy, and we came to the passages when Abraham was commanded to be circumcised and circumcised his family. It was a question, like, what's circumcision? <laughs> Ask your moms and dad. No, actually, I'm, I said, all right, you're in a Bible class. This is what you came to learn. I would tell them that. But, uh, and they were middle school, so they should have hopefully learned that stuff by that point. Anywho, um, we come to this place where where. The, the best of the best of the Jewish exile men are called into service. Nebuchadnezzar says uh, to his court officials, go out, get the best of the best. They, if they're of the royal courts of, of uh, the, the Jews, bring them in. Uh, if, if they are mathematicians, scientists, who, you know, the best of the best, you know, bring them in and teach them our languages, our customs, our values, and take them through the rigors of basically an education model to make them thoroughly adapted to Babylonian culture and our ways. And so Daniel was one of those that was brought in. And it seems to be that three years was the span of time that they were required to go through this re-education process. What's interesting is that through the re-education process, Daniel and, and his cohorts did not lose their faith in Yahweh, even though they acclimated and were drawn into the palace courts of Nebuchadnezzar to work with him more intimately than the rest of the population, they still didn't lose their faith. You, if you have a solid, rooted faith in, in Christ that is not easily swayed, you can withstand the education of a different culture and still not lose your way. We don't live in that kind of culture right now. We're struggling with that, aren't we? If we were to be taken over by the Chinese or the Russians, I fear that many of us who don't have deep roots in faith would go the way of whatever the new culture is. It behooves our churches to begin to teach the deeper aspects of Christian faith as rooted in God's holy word so that when those times come, like they did for Daniel and his cohorts, if they ever come for us, we will be rooted and not easily swayed by what Paul calls in Colossians 1 and 2, high-sounding nonsense and empty philosophies of men. 
Okay? So he brings him in, and he brings him, Daniel in, Nebuchadnezzar does, and, and a cohort of other men, and, and they re-educate them. And then one night, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. It really freaks him out. It really so disturbs him that he wakes up uh, and, 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 and is desperately desiring an answer to what this dream is. And so he calls all of his enchanters, magicians, necromancers. You know what a necromancer is? If you don't know, it's a witchcraft way of saying you're trying to speak to the dead. Seances. Don't ever do that. You're opening a door of activity that will ruin you. Okay, we think, oh, that's a thing of the past, the Salem witch trials. That stuff is alive and well, and it will eat you alive. Don't you open yourself up to any of that crap. Amen. We have a whole main street full of it. I'm just telling you, and I probably get curses against me for saying that publicly, but the reality is my God, Yahweh, is greater than any of the other gods. Amen. Okay. So keep that in mind. So he calls all of these magicians, astrologers, the so-called wise men of his court to tell him not just the meaning of his dream, but take this. He says, tell me what my dream was and its meaning. Okay? Tell me your dream and then I'll tell you. It's, no, 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 no. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar does. He says, tell me what my dream was. I wasn't in, I, how am I to know what you're, and that's what happens with all of the wise men that are in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. They can't answer it because they don't know his dream. And, and they actually say, we can't know what the gods have told you, lowercase g. <clears throat> only they have given it to you and only they have the answer. Well, word finally gets, because Nebuchadnezzar's court is so big, word finally gets to Daniel that after Nebuchadnezzar's wise men couldn't answer what the dream was and its meaning, he says, I've had it. And he tells Arioch, the head of his temple guard, or the head of his palace guard, to have every one of the wise men and enchanters and magicians throughout the land executed. Kill them all. If they are not good enough to tell me what my dream was and to answer what the meaning of that dream is, then they're no good to me. Execute every one of them. He's a little upset. So word gets back to Daniel, and Daniel's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Arioch, can you go back and let me have presence with Nebuchadnezzar and talk to him? So... There's a presence with Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says, <clears throat> give me some time to pray, and I'll come back with your answer. And so Daniel goes back to his cohorts, and he says, get on your knees. I need you to pray that God would reveal to us Nebuchadnezzar's dream and reveal its meaning. Don't execute anybody let us pray. And so he goes back and they pray. And God reveals the dream and its meaning to Daniel. Daniel comes back, has another hearing with Nebuchadnezzar. And this is that first interaction, starting with verse 24 of Daniel chapter 2. 
Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill these wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. So again, it's his second interaction with Arioch. I've got it. Go in and tell him I've got his answer. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found the, one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. Here's the interesting thing of this. Arioch didn't want to execute anybody. He quickly took him. Did you catch the language here? It's not like Arioch was like, all right, blood on my hands. I can't wait. No, he didn't want to have to do this. He was probably looking for any way out. And Daniel, more specifically God, if you will, gave him a way out. The king said to Daniel, verse 26, also, also known as Belteshazzar, that was his new name. Daniel was his Hebrew name. Is it true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel says, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. <laughs> you, then you just wasted my time. <laughs> You're just stalling because you don't want me to execute anybody. But it doesn't end there. I mean, can you think, <clears throat> when you're talking to somebody and they're telling you something and, and they say a word or a phrase that you don't like, you're already geared up to come right back because you haven't let them finish what they're saying. This is why it's important to never interrupt, right? To give a person an opportunity to speak their peace. He goes on to write, he goes on to say though, but there is a God in heaven, this is a capital G, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And you're going to say, okay, what's the dream? <clears throat> Next week. <laughs> the groans that they can't hear on TV at home. I heard them from you. You probably groaned at home too, didn't you? It means you have to tune in next week. Part two. We're going to look at that next week, but suffice it to say, I want to talk about the God who reveals secrets today. Here's the key point. Only Yahweh is supreme over all kings and all lords. This is what Daniel is trying to help Nebuchadnezzar understand. There is a God in heaven there is a Yahweh, that's his name, who can reveal the secret to your dream and actually reveal the dream to other people who don't even know what it is. And I will, on behalf of him, speak into that. I didn't figure it out on my own. God revealed it to me. And there's no other God or king or person who could tell you this but God himself. And here's the first point I want to make today, and it's that understanding comes from seeking the right answers from the right person. Understanding comes from seeking the right answer, not just answers. I can go around asking for answers, and people can speculate and give me what they think their answers are or what the right answer is, but understanding comes from seeking the right answers from the right person. Well, who's the right person? Well, I can always tell you the right person because he called himself the truth. 
This is why you hear me quote this often. It was a life-changing verse for me because when you really dig into the depths of John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, which means there is no other way. I am the truth, which means there is no other truth. And I am the life, which means there is no other way to truly life or living but through him. This is why in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've quoted this in my class this morning, that the thief, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus says, have come that you might have what? Life and have it to the full. Now that full life doesn't look like a bed of roses. But it is the most fulfilling thing you will ever live. So understanding comes from seeking the right answers from the right person, and the right person in the context of this is God through Jesus Christ in our day and age. And what Daniel was telling him, this was a day before Jesus came, the right answer comes from seeking God because he is the one who has all answers to every question. When you have questions... Where do you go for the answers? I have a lot of people that have really shallow questions, like, you know, where are we going to eat for lunch today? Okay, uh, what should I wear to church? What should I wear to work? Or, you know, does this look good on me? You know, those are really inconsequential questions in the grand scheme of eternity, but there are a lot of questions that are good questions to ask that probe the depths of what it means to be in relationship to God and who we are in relation to him. And so when we ask the, deep, the deeper questions, we need to be seeking the answers in the right places. Because there are many people out there who are called false teachers or false prophets who would love nothing more than to tell you a convincing argument about a falsehood and get you to believe that. See, that's what the enemy does. Again, I can't help but reflect on Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. By the time you get to Genesis 3, what is the enemy's greatest tool to deceive and to get and to get Eve and Adam to do that which God said don't do. To confuse them. If you take the truth, and, and, and let's just say the truth is this, this huge puzzle, and you take this piece from here and that piece from there and you switch them, it becomes something other than the whole picture of truth. That's what the enemy does. He doesn't have to wipe the whole puzzle off the table and then manufacture a whole new puzzle. He just takes what God has already designed as perfect and he takes a piece out. And he says, oh, look, I bet I know what's in that missing part. And he gets us to believe the missing part rather than the whole of the truth that we can see with our own eyes. Did God really say that if you eat of the trees of the garden, you'll die? No, it's just the one tree. Oh, you won't die. God knows that if you eat it, you'll become just like him, knowing both good and evil. He wants to keep something from you. Hmm. Is there anything new today? I see a lot of our culture seeking answers to the deeper meanings of life. And when they can't find them, the end result is what? Oftentimes it's suicide. Do you know suicide rates are up and up since, since COVID hit? 
And they'd been going up prior to that. Well, when COVID hit and we were isolated from each other, especially in the places of worship, do you know what happened? We became even more alone and desperate. Addiction escalated during that time. Physical and mental abuse escalated during that season. Do you think it's gone back to normal? No, it has not. Some of those rates might have gone down a little bit, but they're higher than they were pre-COVID. See, the enemy will use something like that to bring everybody down. There are false teachers out there with a lot of answers, but they're not the answers you're seeking. Here's the, here's the tough thing. Sometimes we don't like the, the true answer, do we? And so we know what, a lot of times in a given situation when there's a decision to be made and we want to make the right choice, oftentimes the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in a still small voice what the right choice is, and yet we don't like that answer, and so we continue to pursue other answers. Do you believe me? Have you been there? You know the right thing to do, but you keep asking everybody and their brother what the right thing to do is, and instead of going straight to the source who's already revealed the answer to you, you continue to turn a blind eye to that which you know you should do. Do you know James tells us to know the right thing to do and not do it is sin? We have a, and you hear me quote this oftentimes, delayed Obedience is disobedience. That's what the philosophy was in our parenting style at home and still is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When you are told to do something by one who's in authority over you, as long as it doesn't compromise your faith in God, then you are to do it. Actually, it's a biblical principle. Obey the authorities put in place over you. Peter says that in 1 Peter Paul talks about obeying the authorities, but never to the point of compromising your faith in Jesus Christ. So if God tells you to do something, you can sit on your haunches and not do it, or you can do the hard work of doing what he's called you to do, even if it's tough, and the answer's not what you want to hear, but also knowing the end result will be better than you can ever imagine. Okay? So, second point is this. The answer to most of our questions is closer than we realize. Do you ever, do you ever ask a question um, and you think, there's no way I'll ever find out the answer to this? Now, that doesn't mean there are not questions that will never be answered, because that's true. There, there are certain questions that this side of heaven we will never know. You've maybe heard me use this analogy before. I'll use the puzzle analogy again. I have a lot of people say, um, you know, what about X, Y, or Z, theologically or biblically? And, and, and though I know a lot, I don't know everything. And so sometimes my answer to the person who's asking questions about the Bible or about God or about sin or death or any of these things is, I honestly don't know. I'm not a know-it-all pastor. I wish I was. I wish I knew every answer to every question that was ever asked, but I don't. And you find anybody that tells you they do know, be careful. 
because there's only one person who knows everything exhaustively, and that's God himself. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, not just about love, but he says, for now I know in part. He basically is saying, I only know partial stuff. I know a lot. I know the way, the truth, and the life, but I don't know everything. He even said uh, on one occasion, the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. The things I know I, I should do, I don't do. What a wretched person I am. He even said a couple times, hey, I, 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 I run like a runner trying to win a race. It's a battle. It's a challenge. I've got to be conditioned for that. I've not attained it yet. I've not reached or achieved where I should be. Why? Because he didn't know everything. He was still reaching and searching and running this race with endurance as each and every one of us should be. The reality is, the answers are way closer than we realize. Because if we have received God through Jesus Christ and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the answer is always him. That sounds like a cool Sunday school answer when I was in fourth grade in my home church in Danville, Kentucky. The answer is always Jesus. But it's true. The answer to every question that plagues you can only found, be found in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean when you come to Christ, every answer will be given to every question you have. That's why it's called faith. And without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God. Thank you. But the reality is, we will not know everything, but we know enough to be given the keys to that place. I said this puzzle. It's like this. I have a thousand-piece puzzle, and I've only I have opened the box up. I've spread my pieces out. I've got all the border pieces in place. But I come to find out as I'm putting everything together, whoever the manufacturer was left out 200 pieces. If you are a type A personality, you can't conceive of such a thing. But let's say you go ahead and you complete the puzzle with the pieces you have, but there are 200 pieces that are missing. Do you think you could see enough of the picture to deduce what is actually there? For the most part. See, this is why it's called faith. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us what faith is. He says it's the evidence, it's evidence of what we hope for. It's the assurance of things we don't see. It's not blind faith. The writer of Hebrews, and neither does Paul in any of his letters, tell us that you should just walk around like this. That's how I was raised. You just got to believe it. You never question God. He'll zap you straight down to hell. (laughs) God, if he's big enough and loving enough, welcomes those questions. That's the God of the Bible I see. Actually, and you've heard me quote this time and time again, Jeremiah 29, not 11 and 12, but 13. We love the 11 and 12 for our seniors graduating from high school. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, but we rarely have committed to memory, John, not John, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me 
you will find me if, what? If you seek me with all your heart. You used to sing a hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence daily live. I surrender some. I surrender most. I surrender 99.9999999%. No, I surrender all. And see the sad reality in many of our churches across the United States. I'm not going to say the globe. Across the United States is we have a lot of people surrendering some, but not everybody surrendering all. If the majority of people were surrendering all to Jesus, what do you think the state of our culture might be in today? What do you think would be the status of revival on the home front if we truly, as a church, committed as individuals within the body of Christ to surrender all? I have a deliverance minister who's back here. Hi, buddy. I love you. And he goes out, and he helps in the deliverance of disease and sickness and those things, travels abroad in the United States. And let me guess, before you lead somebody in a prayer of deliverance, you ask if there's any unrepentant sin, right? Because if there's unrepentant sin, deliverance is blocked a lot of times, am I right? You see, we have a lot of people that aren't delivered from a lot of the maladies of life, mentally, physically, emotionally, or otherwise, because they haven't truly repented of all sin in their life to be able to step into the place where God truly desires for them to be, made whole and complete, needing nothing. I don't know what it is about us, but oftentimes we hold on to those things that drag us to the pits of death and hell rather than letting go and surrendering all to God. You cannot get into heaven with a clenched fist. It's only like this. This is why Jesus' arms were spread wide for you and I, to receive us into that place. And the only way we can be received into that place is like this. I see too many people in the church with clenched fists, knowing that the real answer is so close, but they're not willing to give in to that answer, who is Christ Jesus, Lord and Savior of their life. They're willing to surrender some, but not all. Are you that person who has surrendered some, but you can't surrender all? Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart. You don't know what they've done to me. I can't let them off the hook for that. I won't let them go from that. Maybe it's an addiction that you cannot shake free from. And you've allowed the enemy to continue to hold on to your ankles because you won't shake free from that. You, you, you've, convinced, you've been convinced that there is no way to break free from that which plagues you. And so you've given in to, I guess I'll live just how I am right now because it's better than living how I used to back then. But you haven't found complete freedom in Christ. And let me get to the last point here. It's this, dreams are sometimes the only place that God is able to get our attention. How busy are you? If I were to go around and ask you individually, each of you, how, are, are you busy? I'm going to guess 90 plus percent of you would say, yeah, I'm pretty busy. And even those of you who have retired, you've found that even in retirement, you're busier than you were when you were working. Am I correct? Many of you. 
In the busyness of life, it's hard for God to get our attentions, and sometimes God has to get our attentions in ways that we don't often like. But sometimes, in order to wake us up to the reality that he is truly there and is present, he has to give us a little shake. God is not some bully that comes around trying to clothesline you, but sometimes if he has to, he will. Right? If that's the only way he can get your attention. Dreams are sometimes that only place. Again, let me quote Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Then afterward, he's talking about after the coming of the Messiah, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And then Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord, Paul says. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. Carefully, do you see that? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Not haphazardly, but thoughtfully processing through with a careful intention, what does it mean to please God? Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Okay, we, don't, we, we do a good job of maybe not taking part in evil and darkness. We don't do such a good job of exposing it. Why? Because it's really none of our business anyway to encroach on somebody else. If that's their choice, let them do their own thing. I mean, who am I to interrupt? Or what the, I mean, the guy, I'm, I'm going to mind my own business. No. We're not called to expose it by cutting somebody off at the knees, but we are called to confront darkness. What does Jesus tell his disciples about the gates of hell? They will not prevail, but we act like they're prevailing. How many of you are right now depressed because of the current political situation and the nature of, your, of the inflation and groceries and everything else? If I'm honest, I struggle with that. We don't live like believers in Christ who know that the victory has already been won in Christ Jesus. We are living in light and temporary trials compared to hellfire. But those of us who have been saved have been elevated to a place of freedom. But we live like we're in bondage. And sometimes God has to say, do you remember who you are? But we are letting the busyness of our lives so speak louder than the voice of God who rarely yells but speaks oftentimes in a still small voice to be the proclaiming thing in our life. Maybe it's your job, your paycheck, your boss, your ex, Maybe it's your children. What is speaking louder to you than the voice of God? And what is he going to have to do to get your attention? Darren Carlson is the lead pastor of Redeemer Church in Bozeman, Montana, and the founder of Training Leaders International. In an article on the nature of dreams in the Muslim world, Carlson writes this. And let me tell you, you were in uh, Tunisia. Tunisia is a predominantly Muslim nation in Africa. And there are many nations like that in the 
across the globe where Christianity and the Word of God is illegal and and it will put you in great jeopardy of getting in there. If they catch you with the Bible, you could be in big trouble. So there are many peoples in those people groups in the Muslim world that don't know about this guy named Jesus and salvation through him. And so guess how God is able to penetrate behind the lines of those radical situations, not ISIS members, but those radical ideological worldviews that are different from God. He does it through dreams. I have read countless books on this. This is such an amazing thing. How God is the missionary oftentimes through dreams and visions about this guy who looks like lightning and is dressed in glowing white who's telling them to come, follow me, I am the way. In dreams and in visions, I'm going to read to you, listen to what Carlson writes. In a recent field work where I interviewed Christian migrants who'd converted from Islam, many reported a dream that led to their conversion. Their experience of dreams and visions fit into the following categories. One, Jesus speaks scripture to them, even scripture they had never heard before. Number two, Jesus tells people to do something in those dreams. Number three, a dream or a vision that led to a feeling of being clean or at peace after they had that experience. Or number four, there's this man in white physically appearing to them. Let me share some examples, he says. A friend of mine tells of a, uh, a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee center at 6 a.m. who was visibly upset. He told a story uh, he told his story to, a per, to the Persian pastor he was talking to, Christian pastor. During the night, he saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, stand up and follow me. The Persian man said, who are you? The man in white replied, now this is a true story. The man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the way to heaven. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, he began to ask this pastor, who is he? Who is that guy that told me those things? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. In response, the pastor held out his Bible and he said, have you ever seen this before? A Bible. And the guy says, no, I've never seen that before. Do you know what it is? He says, no, I have no clue what that is. The pastor then opened the book to Revelation, and he quotes from the book of Revelation, Jesus saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He said the man started bawling like a baby. He says, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? And the pastor led him in a prayer, and peace came over this man just like that. And then the pastor gave the man a Bible and he told him to hide it since Muslims in the camps would cause him trouble. But the man replied, Jesus, the Jesus I met today is more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. He left an hour later and he returned with 10 more Persians and told the pastor, these people want a Bible. No one had to teach that man evangelistic strategy. 
In another instance, there was a family on a boat with other migrants traveling from Turkey to Athens, and on the way, they lost their seven-year-old daughter into the water. She fell overboard. Everyone in, in the crowded boat was looking for her, but they couldn't find her, searching around the boat. Suddenly, they say she appeared on the other side of the boat, saying over and over again, a man who walked on the water took me and brought me to the other side of the boat. And the parents are like, you're crazy. And so they dismissed her words as silly, a seven-year-old's nonsense and dreaming. Upon arriving on the island of Lesbos, they met a Christian who made a fire and offered to talk with them on the shore that day. And without knowing what had happened, the man, the Christian man who made the fire asked them if they would like to know about a God who walked on water. And they all started crying. The man had never used that illustration before with anybody when he was talking about Jesus. But that morning, he felt like he had to. There was just something in him. I got to talk about the God who walked on water. And they asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm a Christian. And they said, what do you mean, walk on water? And he opened the Bible to the story of Jesus walking on the water. And they broke out in even more hysterical crying. And they said, our, our daughter fell off the boat earlier, they explained, and we thought she was crazy because she was dry on the other side of the boat. We didn't understand it, but, but she kept saying, there was this man who walked on the water who took me and put me on the boat on the other side. Sometimes when all else fails, even when the body of Christ neglects its responsibility to make disciples, God steps in and does what either we are unwilling to do or incapable of doing. Maybe the loud and busy ongoings of our daily routines have so crowded out the divine in our lives that God has to use these nocturnal hours of sleep to awaken our spiritual senses to his heavenly purposes. Not every dream is of God, but there are those in my life that have stood out. And not because of anything I've ever eaten the night before or any kind of my brain filing away these different things, but because I know that there's no other reason than God has given me that. And he's proven it, not just through his word, but by the development of situations and circumstances. Now, I'm not asking you to go out seeking dreams or visions, but if you truly are sold out, believer to Christ Jesus, don't dismiss any conceivable way he might communicate with you. Because sometimes maybe the only way he can get to you is through your dream sequences, because you're still and quiet enough to listen. I'm going to call our worship team forward to close us out just, just now, but uh, let me close with this. How many of you are familiar with an author by the name of Mark Batterson? He pastors a church in uh, Washington, D.C. He's written a book called All In, and he writes, A few years ago, I met Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales. He said it was sort of surreal hearing the voice of Bob the Tomato in non-animated form. 
but Phil is as likable as the characters he created. He said, uh, Phil started out with loose change and a God idea called Big Idea Incorporated. He said the company sold more than 50 million videos and grossed hundreds of millions of dollars. But in the end, it would all come to a close with a lawsuit. As Phil himself said, 14 years worth of work flashed before my eyes. The characters, the songs, the impact, the letters from kids all over the world, it all flashed before my eyes and then it was gone. Big idea declared bankruptcy and the dream died a painful death. That's when Phil heard a sermon that he said saved his soul because he'd lost his way after that. If God gives you a dream and the dream comes to life and God shows up in it and then the dream dies, it may be that God wants to see what is more important to you the dream or him. Daniel says, I can get you the answer to your dream, but it's not by anything that I can do. It's only God. And it's the God of the dream that's more important than the dream itself. Not all dreams are from God, but the ones that are can only be understood by seeking the God of the dream. He's the only king and the only lord of this world. To seek anyone or anything else is truly vanity. I don't know where you are, what dreams you've had, what dreams you continue to have in life, and maybe you feel like there's, there's no way that those dreams can come true. And maybe you're seeking the wrong dream. Maybe God's giving you a different path and a different journey in life. Maybe he's revealing to you something that you know you should do. You already know the answer to the question, and yet you are withholding from stepping into that which he's asked you to go to. And maybe what he's revealing to you is not something that you had pre-purposed for yourself. Maybe it's not the dreams that you grew, maybe, maybe he's giving you something that is not what you dreamed of as a child or as a teenager. Maybe you're even at a stage of life where you're saying, I, I, I thought that it would be different right now. What do I have to show for it? I'm 40, 50, 60 years into this. And, and maybe it's because You've searched the wrong dreams without searching the God of the dreams. Again, not all dreams are from God, but the God of dreams gives true focus and meaning to life. Remember, it's not about holding a clenched fist, but opening a hand. You've heard it said you can hold more water in a cupped hand than a clenched fist. We have to hold everything loosely and to be open to what God's calling us to, to what his dreams for us are, so that we can step into his amazing glory and grace and find what it truly means to live an abundant life. Our altars are always open. If, if, if you've been living the wrong dream, if maybe your dream has become a nightmare, <laughs> maybe you need to seek the God of dreams who can give you a different dream and a different purpose. 
I don't know where you are, but, but God does. If you want to come to my right, your left, somebody will pray with you. Maybe you just can't make sense of any of this, and, and you need somebody to walk with you through prayer to help unpack some of the things you've been struggling with. Maybe there's an issue of deliverance. Maybe you need to be delivered from an albatross that's been weighing you down. But you have to be fully willing to commit to Christ and to repent of sin. If you want to pray alone, you can come to my left, your your right. Nobody will bother you over there. Regardless, don't leave this place. I say this every week almost. Don't leave this place without having an encounter with God that changes you in some way, form, or fashion, whether it's a radical transformation or just a degree shift. Will you pray with me? Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one higher than you. You are sovereign and mighty and good and beyond anything our minds can conceive of. And all of that, God, even in spite of all the questions we have that cannot be answered this side of heaven, we believe and we trust you. We have faith in you. Help us in the areas where we struggle. Just like the man in the Gospels who said, I believe to Jesus just to help me with my unbelief. God, if we've been dreaming the wrong dreams, give us your dream for our life. And if it doesn't look like what we expected, help us to be bold and courageous enough to step into that which you called us to, even if it feels uncomfortable at first. Help us to truly be surrendered to your will and your ways forsaking the sin that so easily entangles us and following hard and fast after Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We ask all this in his precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.